<laughs> Boy, that ought to pump you chilly. When God ran. It did mine. I know that. We'll be in Luke 15 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. A story that is very familiar to all of us, I think. You could entitle the message, Good, Good Father. You could entitle the message, Father of the Year, if you wanted to. All kind of different titles that we could put on this message. But before we begin, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Herman, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? I know every Father's Day, I'm reminded of my own dad. Uh, he was a gentleman. And more than that, he was a gentleman. He was a born-again Christian. He loved the Lord. He loved my mom. He loved the kids. He loved his job. He loved the church. And he loved people. He was a man who led us down the path of being a Christian. And one of the beautiful things about my dad was he always made time for us. Always made time. When we were in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, guess who was the Scoutmaster? Yeah, it was him. When we were playing baseball up, up to high school... Guess who was the head coach? Yeah, it was him. When we were growing up in our small church that we attended, guess who taught the young people? Yeah, it was him. You see, he set a godly example for us. He was willing to shine his light so that we could follow the path of Christ. And when we got older, he and, he and mom would travel hundreds of miles watching, watching me play basketball. And even as I got older, he always had time for us. Always had time for us. And you see, dads, uh, that's important. Because you see, dads, a, a kiddo, a young person, a young adult, needs your time. And if you can't find the time, I urge you to make the time. Because you see... The time that you give to these youngins, it tells them that they are valuable. It tells them how much you love them. Because you see, Dad's time is love in the eyes of a child. We must be willing to give time to them. My dad never was father of the year, but he probably could have been. He was in my eyes. I hope that you had the same kind of father. I know some of you didn't, though. And I understand that. And I am sympathetic to that. You see, my father pointed us to Christ. I'm, I'm sure some of yours didn't. And I understand that. And I understand that pain that, that comes with that. But if that is you in your life, then I would urge you to break that cycle. 
I would urge you to now take that stand and say, I'm going to be the godly father that uh, he's called me to be. I want to be that godly grandfather. I want to change what's happened in my life. I want to change what, how I have was brought up. And I want to change it for the good. I want to change it for God's glory. And that can be done. We are in the business of forgiving. God is in the business of forgiving. I would urge you to do that if your father was not one that pointed you to the Lord. I like what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. As for my house, we will serve the Lord. Dad, that's your responsibility. Granddad, that's your responsibility to make sure whatever your house is doing, it is serving the Lord. Today, I want to look at another godly father out of Luke 15. Uh, a father that kind of can set the example for us uh, on how to, uh, how to live, how to uh, pardon, how to forgive, how to be a godly father in our lives. And, and we're going to look at this starting in uh, verse 11 of chapter 15. And it's a story of the prodigal son. Now we'll have to speak a little bit about the prodigal son, but I want to focus on the father of the prodigal son on this Father's Day because he is important, dads. And we look there and starting in verse 11 and verse 12. It says this, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. It's interesting to see that he has these two sons and the youngest one, youngest one wants his inheritance. The youngest one says, give me. <laughs> it doesn't say, would you please, maybe, let's talk about this. No, he says, give me. I want my inheritance. I want my inheritance before you die. I want to be able to take the money, the things, the possessions, what is owed to me, the young son would say. And I want to take those and I want to live my life how I want to live it. I want to be able to make my own decisions. I want to just do my own thing. And I don't want anybody telling me what to do. You see, he wanted his independence, didn't he? And, and like many young adults, you know, at, maybe at the age of 18 or whatever, they want... They want their independence. They want to do life how they want to do life. They want to get out of, of the home. They can't wait to get out of the home. They can't wait to get out from underneath that thumb that, uh, that maybe mom and dad has for them. And they want to live life however they want to. They want to pursue the things that this life has for them. And they want a life of no rules and no responsibilities. Give it to me, dad. Because I want to live my life how I want to. I can't imagine how the dad would have felt about that. Because you see, basically what this young man is telling his dad is, I, I, I wish you were dead, number one, so that I could collect what is owed to me as being your son. And I can't imagine the, the hurt that might have hit the heart of the father saying not saying but his actions saying I wish you were dead because I want what's coming to me that had to hurt that is 
rejection, that's disrespect, you just name it. That's, that's, that was hard for him. You know, I think the father loved his sons, though, like we all do. I think the father knew his son. I think the father knew what this guy was going to do with this newfound wealth, if you would. I think he knew what was going on, but he had respect for his son, his son being a young adult, his son uh, wanting his freedom. Uh, The father gave in, gave him what he was wanting out of respect, out of love, and was going to let him live the life that he has chosen. He loved him enough to allow this boy to go live how he wanted to live. If the boy wanted to pursue the trappings of this life, dad knew it wasn't right. But dad loved him enough to let him go, to say, you go make your own life, make your own decisions, go where you think you need to go. Probably a hard thing for a dad to do. But his dad was willing to do that. He was willing to let him go. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us here in these first two verses there that we've read um, what Dad did. But I don't know about you, but I can just imagine that the father had been praying for the son for a, for a while, probably for the last maybe 18 years. But I think when, when the son decided to go his way into the world and find, find worldly pleasure, I can just imagine, and I hope that's what he did. His prayer life ramped up. His prayer, life ramp, his prayer life ramped up that he was now praying earnestly for that son. Praying earnestly that that son would someday come back. That that son would see what he was doing and understand that that kind of lifestyle maybe is fun for a season, but it won't last for a lifetime. And I can just imagine how many hours he spent on his knees praying. Praying that that son would come back, that he would see the light, that something would click inside of him that, that taught, caused him to want to come back to the Father. I believe that's true, even though it doesn't say it here, because we see, we'll receive the reaction of the Father later on as he reacts in a way that is God-honoring. You know, we, we see what has happened, and we know what's happened to this guy. He goes off and, and lives life how he wants to. He is pursuing uh, the joys of, of the world. He is looking for satisfaction and contentment and, and all those kind of good things, a fun time. And we know the story about him. We're not going to spend much time on him. But we know the story, don't we? That he went out and blew all of his money, blew the inheritance. Dad probably knew he would. The Bible says there was a big famine that came up. The Bible says he lost his job, he had lost all of his money, and he had nothing. So the Bible says he went and hired himself out to a guy that was a pig farmer. And his job was to slop the hogs. So I'm sure whatever he was feeding the hogs, two for the hogs, one for him. And that's what he was eating. And, and the thought just came to his mind, I guess, that, man, that's something not right about this. Something not right about it. I, I have nothing and I have nothing to eat. I'm dying out here. And, and, and he remembered back his dad, that his dad had hired servants too. And he thought to himself, man, man, they must be eating, but I'm dying here. Because you see, 
you see. The pleasures of this world only last for a season. The joys of this world only last for a season. And when you are looking for contentment and joy and satisfaction outside of the will of God, I'm telling you, you'll never find it until you're inside the will of God. And I can't help believe, he, I'm sure he was praying. Because in verse 17, in verse 17, he, he, we have a clue about maybe why this father was praying. And in verse 17, we see here that this guy has nothing. But then in verse 17, at the first of it, he says, but then he came to his senses. The boy came to his sentences. Well, let's just go ahead and read it. He came to his senses. What caused that? I believe prayer caused that. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired hands. Something had happened to him. He came to his senses. I believe conviction came to his senses. I believe God was answering the prayer of the father. But look at the father's response, what he could have said. What he could have said, and maybe this is what maybe we would have said. I don't know. He had every right, did he not, to be mad at his boy. His boy had disrespected him. His boy had turned his back on him. He had every right to be mad about him. He had every right that when that son had come to the, to the house then, he could have shut the door and locked the door. And he could have said, don't, don't, you don't live here anymore. And I hate these words. I'm done with you. Very easily could have said that. I'm done with you. He very easily could have said, you know, boy, you've been making dumb decisions all your life. And you made another one. What are you thinking? Your brother never would have done that. He would never have done that. What a stupid thing to do. But he didn't do that, did he? He could have. He could have made a mockery of the family. You made a mockery of us by doing what you did. He could have said that. You have hurt me as father. You have hurt your son. My, I mean, your brother. You have hurt the estate. The father could have said, you deserve what you got. You deserve being in the pig pen. You do not deserve forgiveness and acceptance and kindness and love. You do not deserve that. You need to be condemned and judged. Get out of my place. Get off my land. And the father would have every right to do that. You don't deserve being accepted. But then we see in verse 20. And in verse 20 it says this. So he got up and came to the father. That's the son. But while he was still a long way away, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Wow, what a response. I can just see it now. There's the father sitting on the front porch of his house, praying, looking, longing for his boy to come back. And one day he looks up and he sees a figure way out in the distance there. And in his mind he thinks, you know, that kind of looks like my son. I don't know, can't tell, but kind of looks like him. 
And as the son came a little closer, he recognized that it was his boy. And you see the response of the father. Oh, my goodness. He says, I saw him. And he said, I felt compassion for him. I still had that love that I had for him when he was just a little boy. And he had compassion on him. He didn't have revenge or, or hatred towards him. He had compassion for him. And then you see what he did. The Bible says he ran to meet him. In those days, men did not run. In those days, it was not dignified for a man to run. You did not run as a man. But because of his love and because he saw his wayward son, his prodigal son out in the distance, the Bible says he ran to him. And he ran with open arms and he grabbed him and he embraced him and he hugged him and he held on to him and he kept holding him. And he kept holding him. And he kept holding him. And he kissed him. How could a father do that? After what that boy had done to him and the family. How could the father respond like that? Because you know bitterness grows when you allow bitterness to stick around. Unforgiveness grows when you allow that to to settle. The father didn't have that apparently. The father had been praying for his son. That's how he could do that. That's how he could run to his wayward son and embrace him and kiss him with open arms. You see, the eyes of the father were merciful. He wanted to extend mercy to his son. You see, mercy is not giving something to someone who deserves it. He deserves judgment. He deserves condemnation. But the eyes of the father were so merciful, I'm going to extend mercy to him. The heart of the father was merciful. He wanted to make sure his son knew how much he loved him. You see, the feet of the father were merciful too. He ran to his boy so that he could escort the boy back to home where the boy belonged. You see, the arms of the father were merciful too. Because when he ran to the, father, when he ran to the boy, his arms were spread out wide, come. And when he got him, he hugged him and embraced him. He wanted to make sure that the boy understood how much he loved him. The lips of the father were merciful. He wanted to speak love and acceptance to his wayward son. You see, everything, everything about this earthly father was merciful. Everything about this man was, was to present mercy to his son. Not to give the son what he deserved, but to give him mercy and not what he deserved. And to give him grace and to give him forgiveness, even though the father had been hurt tremendously. We see in verse 21 that the boy is repenting. He's coming with repentance and humbleness. He says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I can just imagine that, that, the, that the son had, had, uh, had this speech made up. 
And I can just imagine in my mind that, that as the son was starting to say this, I've sinned against father and I've sinned against you. I can just see the dad going, no, 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 hush. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to lecture you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to give you mercy. Because you step towards me. Verse 22. And the father said to his, to his slaves, his workers, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of, man, son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. We must celebrate because of that. Wow. Look what the father does. He says, go, go, get a robe and put it on my boy. You see, the robe represented acceptance back into the family. Father said, put the best robe I got on him because he is accepted back into my family. Go get that ring that we've been saving for him, guys. Put it on his finger. Telling him that you still are my son. And I still love you. Go get those sandals and put them on his feet. Which represents you are now part of the family. Because you see back in that day. The servants, the hired ones that the son thought he wanted to be now. Didn't wear shoes. It was a way to symbolize to the son. That no you are family. No matter what you've done. You are now still family. You have come back to us. And then he said, get the fatted calf. Get the one that we've been waiting on. Get the one that's just nice and plump. Because we have an special occasion. We have a special occasion, guys, and we're going to celebrate. And we're going to have a party. Because my son, who I thought was dead, is now alive. My son, who was lost, has now been found. And I want to celebrate that because of that. What a response from the father. You see, how could the father do that? Everything about him was merciful. What a picture of a forgiving father. What a picture of an accepting father. Even though he had been hurt. What a beautiful picture of an earthly father. There's one other father I want to mention here real quickly. And that is the heavenly father. Because you see the earthly father that we just talked about gave us a glimpse of our heavenly father gave us a picture of how our heavenly father is you see the prodigal son is you and I we at one time had wandered away we at one time had left our relationship with our heavenly father and we were living a life of sin. And we were living life however we wanted to. Or, or maybe you are still doing that. I don't know. But the prodigal son was a sinner who was in need of a savior. That's you and I. 
And the beautiful thing about God is he's going to allow you to live that way, just like the earthly father. God is a gentleman. And God will not force you to accept him, will not force you to accept Christ. If you choose to live a life looking for joy and happiness and peace and security and satisfaction in this old world, guess what? God will allow you to do that. He respects you enough that he will allow you to do what you want to do. To live a life that rejects him, rejects his son, he will allow you to do that. So that you maybe someday will learn what he already wants to teach you. That happiness does not come from pursuing the world. Sin can be happiness for a season, can be fun for a season. But outside of the will of God, it one day will bring turmoil to your life, heartache to your life. And hopefully will bring you back to the Lord. The beautiful thing here is when the son started coming back to the Lord, when he was already now tapped out, when he was down and depressed and dejected, something clicked in the guy's mind. And he said, you know, I need to go back to my father. Men, some of us could be like that today. Some of us could be walking away from the Lord. Some of us could not be doing what God has called us to do. Maybe we're living a life that maybe it's not like we're supposed to. Maybe we're doing things we're not supposed to, going places and seeing things we're not supposed to. And we become down and depressed and dejected because of that. We're, we're, we're living in sin. And sin does not bring any goodness to us. But when we, this guy stepped towards the Father, when he came to his senses, when he became convicted in his heart, he remembered the goodness of his dad. And the Bible says he came to him. And that's what God does to us when we make a step towards him. When we come to him humbly, when we take that one step, when you've heard me say it a thousand times, we take that one step out of the pew and we come to the Lord. Guess what happens? The Lord runs to you just like that song. The Lord runs just like the earthly father did to his, his son. He ran to him, didn't run in the opposite direction, ran to him with his arms open wide. And he does that to people today. He runs to people, arms wide open. And when they get there and he get there and they meet, he embraces the unbeliever. He embraces that wayward son. He embraces that prodigal father, if you would. And he holds him and embraces him and hugs him and hugs him and then he kisses him. The good father does that. Why? Because all about the godly father that we serve, the awesome God. He's all about mercy. Did you know that? He's all about love. He's all about forgiveness. He's all about acceptance. He's all about you coming back to him so that that relationship now can be restored. There can be reconciliation in that relationship. He wants you to come back. You see, the earthly father responded in a, in a way that showed mercy and love and forgiveness to his wayward boy. That's exactly how God responds to you and I when we come back to him arms wide open 
waiting to embrace, running towards you, saying, I've missed you, son and daughter. I've missed our relationship. I've missed speaking to you. And he would tell you there is no condemnation from coming back from the Lord, to the Lord. He's not going to judge you for what you've done in the past. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to ridicule you. When you come to the Lord either for salvation or, or a cleansing Christian man and woman. There's no bad mouthing on his part. Only love, only mercy, only grace, and only acceptance. I think Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12 through 12 sums it up. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is thy loving kindness towards those who fear him, for those who are obedient to him, who those who are in awe of holy God. And then we know that next verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, holy God also is merciful. Our holy God, when, he, when we come to him, He also gives us a robe. Did you know that? He gives us the robe of righteousness. When we make Christ our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that He, he, Christ, took our sins that were on the cross. He took those sins and He gave us His righteousness. He made us right with God. That's the only way we can be right with God. And when we come to the Lord, He gives us this robe of righteousness he also gives us a ring that tells us we are now part of the family of God we have now been accepted into this great group of cloud of witnesses if you would the Bible says and we are part of his family and we will never be able to be kicked out of this family We're in a family forever and forever. And a ring will symbolize that. He will also give us sandals. The sandals that tell us that you are no longer a hired servant. But you are part of the family now. And I want you to take those sandals and I want you to walk in freedom. You no longer have to worry about the guilt of sin the condemnation of sin because you've got these sandals on your feet and you are part of the family and now I want you to take those sandals and I want you to go spread the gospel around the world. That's what he's done for you and me when we accepted him as Lord and Savior. And then, and then he says, let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf because one of mine, one of my children, one of my One of mine who I've created in my image has now come back to me. He was dead and now he's found. I was lost and now I know where he is. He has come back to the the family of God. He has been accepted and we've got to celebrate that. That is the greatest thing on the history of this world is for one soul to be saved. That will stay for eternity for heaven. And how do I know there's celebration in heaven when one of us 
accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you look at verse 10 of that same chapter, wow. It says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the presence of the angels. Do you know who's in the presence of the angels? Every born again Christian that's ever died is in the presence of the angels because they're in the presence of holy God and walk in the streets with our Lord and Savior. And when one gets saved, one, there is celebration in heaven because that's another soul that the enemy does not get. That's another soul that's going to live forever in the very presence of holy God. What an awesome God that we serve. Wow. Fathers, grandfathers, guys in the room, I want to urge you to pass a godly legacy down to your kids. A godly legacy. If you didn't have that, I'm sorry. But there's no excuse for you not to do that now. Pass a godly legacy down. Let them see you reading your word. Let them hear you praying and let them see the power of prayer. Take them to church. Show them how much you love the Lord. Show them that, that, that this is important to you. Show them that you want to come to encourage other believers to be here. Show them how important it is that the Sabbath is His day and not your day. Show them what forgiveness means. Show them what acceptance means. Show them what mercy means. Show them what grace means. Because if, dads, if, if you don't do that, who's going to show them that? You see, you, your job, dads, is to shine the light and point the way for them. And if, they, if all they see is anger and bitterness out of you and not forgiveness and love and acceptance, they'll grow up to be that way. We have a loving father that loves us so much in spite of our screw-ups, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our wanderings. He loves us unconditionally. Dad, granddad, great-granddad, whoever you are, we are called to love our children unconditionally. I challenge every man in this room today to do that, to be that light for the family that you are called to be, to be that light in the community where you live, to be that light at your job, to be the light of Christ that shines brightly so that other people can, can, can see from you what an awesome God that we serve and how much this awesome God just loves us no matter what. You can't be bad enough <laughs> to get outside of the love of God. Men, that is our job to do that. Men, if you've never been born again, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I say this with all the love I got. You can't pass down a godly legacy to them. You just can't do it. If the Lord's not your Savior and you haven't accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you can't pass down a godly legacy. And if you're not passing down a godly legacy, what kind of legacy are you passing down? A legacy of unbelief. Can't do it. 
if you're a father and, and, and you are born again and you know it, but you're not doing what you need to be doing as father, as dad, and the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, I would urge you during our invitation time to talk to the Lord about that. If you're not being the one that's shining the light, leading the way, because you're following Christ, then you need to confess that. And just tell the Lord, I'm sorry, man, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the dad and the father I should be. But with your strength, God, I can be that guy. I want to be that guy. I have to be that guy for my family and friends. Ron, as we begin our invitation time, we have had our earthly fathers. And I hope that you're, you were able to love on them. But we have an awesome, awesome God, a heavenly father that loves you, that wants you to be a part of the family of God. If he's never put the robe of righteousness on you, if he's never put the finger of love on you, if he's never given you the sandals of faith, this would be a good time to do it, Father. Dad, as we begin our invitation time, let's close our eyes and respond how God wants you to respond. Maybe you're thinking about your dad, I don't know. Maybe you need to get something right with your earthly dad. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you need to get something right with your heavenly dad. I don't know. However God speaks, the piano plays. I'm here.